Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show. And I am very excited for two reasons. One, because Fulham have won three on the spin. A fantastic 1-0 victory over Leicester City last night at the King Power Stadium. The second reason is because it is the return of the Thursday Club here on the Fulhamish Podcast. It's been a long six weeks without them. But finally, I am reunited with Jack Collins. Hello. Hello. Hello, listeners. Hello, Sammy. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And Peter Rutzler. Hello. Hey, Sammy. Happy New Year to you. Good to be back. Thank you. Yeah, very good to have you back. Um, a very enjoyable New Year it has been. Three wins on the spin for Fulham, seventh in the table. And last night was a nitty gritty 1 0 win. There's been all sorts of different wins over this period. Last night was definitely dogged and determined. Did we deserve it? Not 100% sure. Will I take it? Absolutely. And yes, there is a tweet from Woodrow Sweats back in August. He said, new rules for the horn this season. Three straight wins and in the top 10. I didn't think I'd get the opportunity. I didn't think it would happen. I should have believed in this team. So here it is. I will sound the horn for HMS Piss the Premier League. All aboard. All aboard. Cursed it now, haven't we? Classic. Bloody hell. <laughs> what a wonderful day. I didn't think I'd get to hit the foghorn again after that championship season, but alas, Fulham are absolute mustard. Um, Jack, what were the best three-word reviews that came in from last night? Yeah, there were some, some absolute zingers, to be fair, to start 2023 off in style. Uh, Fulham Catalonia with Leno's Foxing Day, I thought was excellent. Mm. Uh, Matt Hobley, uh, Leno says nine. That one's my favourite. <laughs> Uh, Aaron Trainer said Fox trotting to Europe. Pterodactyl with Leno's power outage. Matt Wall, I thought this was excellent. We'll come on to this, I'm sure, because Peter talked about it in his article. He said good, bad, ugly uh, about those three wins. Kyoko said Vardy Vidi Vici. Uh, and John Brooker with less to worry about. Uh, and Richard Bamba with our friend Soul. Happy New Year, Soul. 28 points later. Hmm. I can't stop looking at the table. I cannot stop looking at this Premier League table. Fulham in seventh, level on points with Liverpool. Um, A couple behind Tottenham. Only seven off the Champions League. 14 points above Nottingham Forest, who occupy the first relegation spot. I never thought this was possible. And um, Peter, we have come back from the World Cup with not just a bang, it's a full on nuclear explosion. <laughs> I could never have predicted that we'd get the three wins out of three. I thought it was a nice run of fixtures. I thought we'd do okay, but I didn't see this coming. This this is just sensational. Yeah, it felt like before the World Cup that maybe 
you know, a brilliant start. You know, maybe the World Cup will reset things that different teams would come out, you know, with different ambitions, diff- different levels. And how, how do you respond to it? Fulham had six players away, key players away. Um, and my word, they've just come out and <laughs> carried on, picked up where they left off. Um, three very different wins since the, since the return. And, and and last night was probably the most enjoyable. It seemed like the away end enjoyed that a lot. And and that's probably because the second half was a emotional purgatory. Um, <laughs> but again, it was just a performance that showed Fulham have discovered this ability to find ways to win. Uh, I think I, I, was, I think I wrote about that after Southampton. And it's the same thing against Leicester, just a different way of doing it. Um, we're so accustomed to seeing Fulham find ways to lose games. Um, in the Premier League or find ways not to win. I mean, in that Scott Parker season, it was find ways to draw. And this year, it's it's three points so regularly. I mean, it's one win away from the most away wins in the Premier League, I think, now. Obviously, we've matched the 2020 to 2021 season. Um, It is genuinely extraordinary. It's absolutely incredible. Uh, You have to keep reminding yourself, this newly promoted Fulham. we're making, you know, they're making light work of this season, um, and, and and yes, we're we're we've not quite hit the halfway point. When <laughs> anything can happen, but I mean, it's uh, it's been a re- it's really it's just a joy to watch at the moment. Um, as you can see, I'm struggling to really put it yeah. into words because I'm I'm just more used to being sort of a you know relegation correspondent. So this is um this is this is a new world for me. Yeah, Jack. I mean, twenty eight points. Even I'm now saying okay, like. This is this is a serious Fulham team now. This is this is about more than survival now. Like obviously, yes, I think we need maybe I think a couple more wins before you make that concrete. But with twenty games to do so, this is about more than survival now. Uh, after Palace, I was thinking maybe. After Southampton, I was kind of convinced. When you win three in a row like that and you're on twenty eight points, it's not even halfway through the season. This is about more than survival now. I don't think you're jinxing it by saying that anymore. Yeah, it's a hard one, isn't it? Because obviously there is the Blackpool cautionary tale of absolutely flying at the halfway mark and falling off drastically in the second half. But I think that it felt that season that Blackpool were overachieving, whereas it doesn't hugely feel on the pitch that Fulham are doing the same. Now, obviously there are some statistics that still suggest that Fulham are overperforming to an extent um, and we should be wary of those statistics. The big chances conceded remains a little bit of a concern, but generally I think, and generally, uh, I think you, you look at this team and think, yeah, a lot of these performances have been hard earned. Now, Yes, you could argue that maybe we didn't deserve all three points yesterday, but you could also argue that we deserve something out of both Manchester United and Manchester City as games. And so I think that over the course of this, we're looking at balancing it out uh, as opposed to it being, oh, Fulham are getting away with one. And and that's, I think, the biggest thing for me and that it feels like Fulham aren't necessarily you know, overperforming our station or, you know, the performances aren't living up to the the points on the board. This feels like a team that's comfortable within itself, that's comfortable in what it's going to do, that's versatile and able to shift and shapeshift into different animals in order to get through games. And we've seen that in the last three games, right? And I think this is really, really important. And Peter talked about it and it was mentioned in, in those three word reviews. The three games where you look at the the game against Palace and we were dominant and brilliant on the board and I thought we looked fluid and uh, everything about that game just felt like Fulham were in control. Then there's the Southampton game where 
Fulham probably would have looked at that performance and gone, mm, not quite what we were after, but got through it. And yes, there was this kind of backs to the wall. Yes, okay, skin of the teeth. But at one of those performances where you can hold on and see it through. And those three t- different types of performances to get three you know, similar wins, if you will, or the same amount of points on the board for each of them, no matter how they were achieved, is, is really heartening going into the second half of the season. I mean, Peter, last night, yes, okay, second half, Fulham held on, but the first half, Fulham were brilliant. We just kept stealing the ball off Leicester. They kept finding Fulham players. We kept intercepting it. We were so quick in transition. We created tons of chances. Like we were very good for our one nil lead at halftime. The last five minutes, it felt like Leicester were getting a lot of joy on the right hand side, but you know, Leicester were awful and Fulham were good. Like if, if Leicester are looking back at this game and they want to blame time wasting or game management, or they thought Fulham were lucky, then they have to look at themselves in that first 40 minutes because Fulham were by far the best team. Yeah, I, I think it actually quite surprised me just how um, disorganised Leicester looked uh, in transition and then out of possession or when they just when the ball's just turned over. I felt defensively they were so open. Um I thought they're very good going the other way and caused a lot of problems. And I think there was definitely an element of riding your luck. I mean, that Perez miss in the, in the first half was, was, was quite something, but when your luck's out and, and the atmosphere is the way it is, um, these things can happen. And I, I, that comes back to, again, how Fulham played this game. I, I felt like they had, they have this aura. It's, it's like a swagger at the moment. It, it's, it's a know-how, it's a knowledge, it's a nous of how to, to deal with these kind of games. Last night was about going to Leicester and making everyone tense and frustrated. And it wasn't particularly difficult to do it. You just had to stay in the game, potentially go 1-0 up, just play on the anxieties that have been festering throughout the season. And Fulham did that. And they did that by, as you say, Sammy, showing quality in that first half. Um, Because for as much as it was about grit and determination and being dogged, digging in, you know, sifting through the dark arts in that second half just to get the win over the line. The first half was about showing the quality that they do have. And that was in, you know, in, in the final third, they're outstanding. Like William again, brilliant, defying his age, as, as we've talked about so often. Mitrovic, who I were nervous about when he went down injured, but again, brilliant. Um, and as you say, they were just finding the space, the, the space that left Leicester left them. You know, Tosin's passes from left to right, they were switching the ball regularly to exploit it. Um, it was... They knew exactly what, there was a clear game plan. They executed it. They took the lead. And then as they tired, as, as Leicester began to show their quality and Yuri Tielemans was, was absolutely outstanding, I thought. Um, they, 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 rode, they rode the luck, they dug in, and then there was quality in their own box. And that was Bernd Leno, who was magnificent. Yeah. Um, Jack, there was one change. Tosin came in for Diop. It felt like a very tactical one from Marco. There was no real reason to draw. I don't think it was dropping Diop because he was poor against Southampton. It wasn't his best game, but it also like it was just like it was a six out of ten. It was it was fine. He missed a few misplaced passes. I feel like it was tactical, and you saw a, with a lot of those kind of cross range balls from Tosin. That is some of the quality that he has that we saw a lot last year. Bobby Deckard over Reed was freed a lot on the right hand side from his kind of long ranging passing. So interesting to see if. Kind of silver sticks with that as a bit of a rotation piece between Tosin and, and Diop for the rest of the season. And I wondered if against Hull, you might see Diop and Tosin, maybe Ream have a, have a rest. Yeah, I think there will be changes against Hull. Um, I, I mean, I haven't seen Shane Duffy for a little while. Maybe maybe he'll pop up against Hull in, in yeah. the cup. But generally, I, I think you're right. And and I, I think this is it. You know, he obviously, this isn't the first time that Marco Silva has thrown Tosin into a game 
where there is a lot of pace over the top in an away game where they're going to look to get to get over and beyond. You know, we saw it against Leeds with Rodrigo Moreno. Uh, and now we've seen it against Leicester with Jamie Vardy. These are not coincidences, I don't think. He, he likes the ability of, of Tosin to cover ground uh, and be able to clear things up. And in the first half, I thought there was two or three moments that emphasise exactly why Marcus Silva made this change. There was a couple where Tosin was just able to step across Vardy and, and nick the ball away or, or put in a challenge that just stopped Leicester gaining any sort of momentum. And in games where you're going to have to deal with that threat, Tosin has shown that he can do that on, you know, on, on numerous occasions for the club. And, and I think that it's important to remember that just because right now he isn't the first choice, you would say, in, in inverted commas. It seems a bit mad to say that after he started the game last night. But I, I think everyone would agree that it's a Diop right now feels like the first choice centre-back partner for Tim Ream. Tosin still has a really quite crucial role for Marco Silva and he's utilising him for his skill set as opposed to being like, no, we don't make changes because everything's going well. And I, I think that's good. And I think it's an important thing to, to have in the Arsenal. Um, Peter, let's just discuss the goal. Uh, a beautiful ball by William for Mitrovic. It all seems so easy. And I saw a couple of Leicester fans comment like, why did everyone stop? Why did what was Vout Fez doing? Why did Danny Ward just give up? Um, but anyway, <laughs> it, little did it matter. Um, Mitro stuck it away. I thought Mitro was going off injured, as you mentioned earlier. He didn't look a hundred percent at all, but he still gets goals. Fifty percent Mitro still gets goals. He'll have a little bit of a break now because he imagine he won't play against Hull, and he's now suspended for the Chelsea game. Um, but you know, popped up right place, right time. Well done, one nil, and it was more than we. It was it was everything we deserved as well because I thought that Fulham could have been two, even three nil up. We'd have been a little bit more clinical with some of those chances we had in the first kind of 30, 35 minutes. Yeah, William had a couple of opportunities, didn't he, that he put wide and over. And again, it was that space, wasn't it? It was just the, the space that Fulham were able to find, um, gifted a little bit by Leicester and their concerning organisation. And I suppose when you lose two midfielders inside the first six minutes, that's going to throw a, throw a curveball at you. And, may, and maybe there was an element of that in that first half. But I don't want to take too much away from the quality of the goal itself as well. Um, you know, Harrison Reed wins it back, doing what he does best. Plays it to Willian and, you know, best to give him far too much time. But when you give a player of that quality the opportunity to deliver the ball into the box, um, you're going to get a, a terrific pass. And he takes Valtfass out the game. And then it's all about Mitrovic's intelligence, uh, something he probably doesn't get enough credit for. Um, yeah, as you say, he was sort of nursing that ankle, not that tackle from Ndidi, which wasn't a nice one. It would have hurt. But he's clever. He knows that Luke Thomas hasn't recovered quickly enough. He knows that's where the space is. We know that he likes to peel to the back post for, for crosses and he just drifts onto Fass's blind side. Um, he completely loses track of him, then has the composure to bring the ball down, knows he's got the time to do that. And then the finish is, uh, the finish is smart. It's, it's, it's composed. It's, it's Mitrovic inside the penalty area. Um, he is an intelligent forward in that way. He knows where the space is. He knows where the dangerous areas are. And, and I think that's one of the the things that's, that's always been with him throughout his career. I think that's one of the things that when he was younger in particular, that's what made him stand out um, because he wasn't always a massive centre forward, Mitrovic. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was a moment of real quality and, and really pleasing for him that he's hit 11 goals from, from 15 Premier League games. Uh, obviously, that's his joint best Premier League total. Um, I think there's a nice dose of I told you so to a lot of people 
around him. And it's not a surprise, I think, to those that saw him last year and, and those that watched him for a little longer than that. Um, but to do so while also being, as you mentioned, not fully fit, like he's not been fully fit, properly fit since the September international break at the end of that month when he went off to Serbia and, and picked up this foot injury. He hasn't trained properly in that period, even up to the World Cup. Still scored, I think, three, possibly four goals, three goals, I think, in that time. Um, yeah, it's uh, really impressive. And, and, and in that context, you know, with the FA Cup game, with the suspension for Chelsea, which is so disappointing because Mitrovic at the cottage against Chelsea seemed like an excellent a very well, enticing recipe for uh, for fun, but it does mean he'll get a break, and that that you know if there are those lingering fitness concerns, even even at this point, um, that should that should be helpful. Yeah, we just have to wait for part two. Meet you at the bridge. Yes, uh, in, uh, in, in February instead. Um, do we know? Like there was a bit of a chat going around the stands last night, Peter, of the, a, a, a quite ludicrous situation. And I don't know if it's the case. I see Mitra picked up that yellow card. It was a really soft one. I know a lot of FPL managers were livid, as am I. I captained Mitro. Stupid, because I knew about the yellow card thing as well, but I thought he wouldn't get one. I just thought he'd be quite sensible not to pick up a yellow card. And I think he was unlucky. If he'd have got to say himself a second yellow last night, would he be being suspended for Hull instead of Chelsea? Do we know this? Or like I'm, everything I read, it makes sense. If you pick up a second yellow, you get a red. That means it's a ban in the next competition. What I couldn't work out is like, do you then get a two game suspension? I need to double check. No, I, th- I think it is. I think it is right though. I think it would have been correct. Yeah, I think it would have been correct. I think the, the problem with this is if you were seen to do it on purpose, you can get, you can get retrospectively banned for longer. Like, Getting sent off on purpose is not okay. You're not you're not allowed to do that. It's one of those things that's that I think Sergio Ramos got got in trouble for it a couple of years back. If you if you remember, right. um, so you can get you can get done for this um, if you weren't subtle about it. Now it's not great stuff, and obviously you risk getting a straight red card, which is probably going to be a more heavy ban. So so there is risk attached to it, but. I do believe that if he just got a second yellow, then he would have been banned for the whole game, yeah. I think also Mitrich probably is quite proud of the fact that he's not picked up a red card since joining Fulham. So um, I don't think... Well, no, no player will want to deliver he get sent off, but... Um... I just wondered if Harry, if Harry Wilson had scored at the end, maybe Mitra just took his shirt off. Just, for, <laughs> just you know, why not? Just like, I'll just take your shirt off and get yourself a yellow, get yourself suspended for Hull. You weren't going to play anyway. He might play now, which is the weird thing. No, surely not. Surely he gets nursed for that. Anyway, we've we've um, let's move on to the second half, and I think the star of the second half was Burnt Leno. And Jack, am I being forgetful or forgetting a particular match? I feel like this is Burnt Leno's first game where I'm like, "You saved us today." Whether he's done good saves in other games, and like there's maybe been one or two, like this was performances that I felt like Ariola had to dig out a lot during that Scott Parker season, where you're like. My word, if it wasn't for Burt Leno, we'd have lost today. He made three or four unbelievable saves. And that's not a dig on Burt Leno. It's because I feel like he hasn't necessarily needed to work as hard as some of the keepers that we've seen in previous Premier League seasons. But last night, he earned his money and he was man of the match by far. Um, but yeah, I didn't know if there's maybe another performance that I'd kind of neglected to think about at this stage. He was excellent against both the North London clubs, wasn't he? But we ended mm. up losing both games. That's probably why I didn't get the credit, yeah. So maybe mm. that maybe sways the sways the kind of position on it. But I remember him being excellent against Arsenal and Tottenham. So I would probably put those into the conversation. 
but I think you're right in terms of that's a game where you're gonna be like, those three points have been secured by Burn Leno. There, there is no doubt about that whatsoever. And a lot of the chat last night, I think, was around the idea that how did Fulham sign Burn Leno for, I think, as Ben Jarman put it, you know, three million and a packet of Harry Bow. It, it, <laughs> it does feel like we might have got ourselves a little bit steel deal sale of the century here. Yeah, I mean, um, there was all range of saves last night, Peter. There was kind of like one-on-one saves, long-range saves. There was brilliant work as well. A couple of the dangerous crosses that came in that he able to stop being dangerous. There there was all matter of... And also being quite confident from a few crosses as well. It just felt like a complete goalkeeper display. Yeah, when when it mattered, he he made the interventions. You know, there's one... I think the first one against Harvey Barnes, where Barnes has gone to lift the ball over him quite early. His, his reactions are superb. And I think that's what, I think we, we talked about it when he signed, that was his main sort of strength, isn't it? His shot stopping, his ability in those, in those kind of situations. Um, I, he, I feel like he's been very good throughout the season. I mean, even in, in the Southampton game, you know, forget the, 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 the Shea Adams opportunity. As much as Shea Adams should score, it's a really, really good save by Leno. And he's had those moments in quite a few games, you know, where, you know, Fulham aren't exactly the most defensively watertight in terms of conceding chances. You know, Jack mentioned it earlier, you know, Fulham concede a lot of big chances. Um, teams don't take them and that's, you know, mainly because of Leno. Um, and when we were having those discussions at the start of the season around Marriott Rodak and, and, and Leno and uh, the fairness of the situation and, and how unfair it is really on, on, on Rodak, we sort of came to the conclusion, and rightly so, that when you have a player of that much quality, it, it can be... It can make such a difference. And, and Ariola did that for Fulham two years ago and, and Leno was looked set to fulfil the same role and he's, he's done that. And it's turning last night from a point into three points it is a massive, massive differential. And for the fee that Fulham got him, it's an, it's an absolute steal. It's, you know, it's, it's, up there with, it's up there with a fee for Tosin, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty extraordinary, really. And... and yeah, I'm trying to think. Of, I think it's got to be bargain of the season, hasn't it? I mean, I'm just trying to think across the Premier League. Maybe there'll be a free transfer or two that, that, that comes up. But in terms maybe of the impact, Alex, he's like had, maybe like Alexis McAllister or someone like that. But like, that's, that's, I mean, not, this, that's not this season, is it? No, that's not but I'm just. Oh no, yes, I realise not that, but like he's that level though, isn't it? Of like, like bargain, really, isn't it? Someone that's just. Yeah, a snip, an absolute snip, considering how much players go for. Um, Jack, one moment tactically last night that I felt worked really well. Yes, we did hold on, but bringing East Diop into a back five towards the end of the match, actually, I thought was quite smart from Marco. At the time, I was thinking, oh, right, we're literally just, like, we're completely, we're not hiding what we're trying to do here. We're just absolutely going like, okay, throw the kitchen sink at us and we're just going to, uh, but it seemed to stifle Leicester quite a lot. As soon as Issa Diop was there, I felt like the chances dried up and actually stoppage time was not as nervy as I thought it was going to be. No, it wasn't. I, I think you're absolutely spot on on this one, actually. It, it's one of those really strange ones where you, you kind of look at it and go, mm, is this going to invite more pressure? And we obviously saw that under Parker, but it just calmed things down. And I think Leicester's switch of formation was something that we struggled to deal with for a little while. Um, and so going to five at the back ourselves, felt like we kind of went back to a man-for-man system that had worked so well in the first half. And and at that point, we were able to just reassert a little bit more defensive control. So, yeah, I completely agree. It just felt like it steadied the ship a little bit. And that's also worth giving credit to Diop for. You know, he's he's been dropped out of the team, as you said, for probably tactical reasons rather than 
bad performances, but to come in and steady things and just uh, provide that assured presence in, in in the middle there, I thought really added something quite nice to, to the back five at that point. And and as you say, it didn't feel you know, hugely pressured. Obviously, there was that Iose Perez shot on the spin, but there wasn't all that much that Fulham had to to work hard to deal with in injury time. And and for seven minutes, that's good going. Fulham are yeah. quite good at, you know, I, I remember we, I think we had this conversation with the, the late goals after City and United. You know, it felt like, oh, conceding late goals. When actually, Fulham are really quite good at seeing out games. Um, the, num- the number of single goal margin victories Fulham have had, where they've had to just see out those moments in stoppage time by being really intelligent. And, and the tactical change was definitely part of that. But they, they seem to have got it down to a T in terms of ending those matches and, and, and coming through them with, Without too much difficulty, um, it's yeah, it's, um, it's 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 those little elements, those little small parts of the game that are, are actually really quite decisive, and um, that's that's why we're talking about three wins in a row. And we're also talking about Peter, a European tour. Um, what did you make of that? I mean, it is obviously very ahead of ourselves. There's still twenty games this season. Most teams have twenty-one. Um, there's a lot of good teams fighting for that uh, seventh place, uh, including our illustrious neighbours up the road. Um, and I mean Brentford, not Chelsea. Um, hey, but there, he is. there we go. I mean, it's just. A bit, I mean, it is just a bit of fun, isn't it? But also, can we dare to dream? Can like can this can this continue in your opinion? I just was interested to know your opinion on this is a bit more of a neutral rather than us being just giddy, excited fans that um people are already booking Ryanair vouchers and uh someone on Talksport last night said they were looking up credit cards for the European tour in twenty twenty three. I was like, Yeah, why not, mate? Have have a bit of fun. <laughs> this is it. So after the Southampton game, uh looked at the points tally and the gap, you know, the fact that Fulham are closer to the top four than the bottom three. You know, that's that is really quite something. You know, normally the top four are pulling away from the rest of the pack. Um, I'm sure it might be a slightly lower point to tally this year, but even so, that that in itself at this stage of the season where we're nearly halfway suggests that Fulham can, can they can do it because we're halfway through the season and they've got this many points. So all they have to do is repeat what they did in the first half of the season, and that's what we're talking about. I think only uh, Chris Coleman's team in 2003 four is. Uh, had the same points per game rate, I think, and uh, were higher in the table on New Year's Eve. This is right up there in terms of the trajectory of the team. So, yeah, I think you can dream. Of course you can. Uh, I was I was actually a little surprised that Marco Silva said that after the game last night. Um, of course, he said the same thing, you know, focusing game by game. That's how they won the championship last year. Not going to change their targets. The target is survival. And that's what it has to be. And I think... I think everyone will still be looking at the gap to the bottom three. That's Fulham and newly promoted. Um, but you can dream. I mean, you've got to enjoy it. Like yeah. <laughs> Fulham, and, Fulham and joint out, sixth, pretty much. Like, you know, it's it's crazy. And the performances match it up, are backing it up. It's not like, as Jack said earlier, it's not like this is, you know, the fluking results too much. I mean, okay, maybe the last couple of games they've eked them out. But at the same time, it's, you know, uh, uh, do I think they will actually qualify for Europe? Probably not, no. Um, but is it possible? Yeah. Well, it's definitely possible. That's, yeah. that's the trajectory Fulham are on. So- I think this, the thing about it, and, and to kind of double down on that, is that I, I'd agree. I still think it's probably unlikely in terms of whether we think it's going to be a, a probability as opposed to a possibility. 
But we're now talking about three or four results swinging a different way as opposed to 10 or 11, right? Mm. If you can knock a couple of points off the teams around you, if you can, you know, Fulham could get four points off Chelsea, suddenly you're like, why not? But right now with the way that these two teams are playing, that doesn't seem ridiculous. No, like, you no, know, no, normally no. you'd be like, well, of course that sounds, that sounds mad. This has been like, oh yeah, if you get six points off City, maybe you'll qualify for you. I'm like, probably not going to do that, right? Fine. But right now... It doesn't seem ludicrous that Fulham could get four points off Chelsea. I mean, if it's going to be difficult, and obviously we play the next week now without Alexander Mitrovic, the talisman, but it, it doesn't seem impossible considering the run that Chelsea are on right now and the run that Fulham are on, the way the two teams are playing and the fact that Chelsea have been physically bullied this season, that this Fulham team could really, really go through them and scythe through them, I think, at, at times. And, and it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out. But you're looking at this and going, right, so if those two fall your way, if you can get a result at, at Brentford away, you know, obviously these are big games in terms of emotional stability, don't get me wrong, but also mm. they're huge games in that they're now the teams around us looking at these these things. And, and if everyone's going to continue dropping points, which it looks like they are because no one... You know, every year I saw this tweeted the other day from uh, someone called Case Van Hemmen, who's a United fan, but he, he's a really good analyst on, on Twitter. And he, he basically said every year everyone goes, oh, how good is the Premier League top four race going to be this year? And every year it ends up with like six teams just trying to prove that they're not fraudulent. Like it, mm. it, it just does feel like that at the moment. You're looking at this and going, hang on, are you good? Like Spurs are fifth. Are they good? Because I don't think they are. Like we're we're at this kind of really strange position now where we're looking at some of these teams going, they're not just around us. They're beatable. Chelsea, beatable. Spurs, beatable. Like these are the games and, and what we're seeing this season. That's not me saying that I think we're going to beat, take six points off Chelsea and take three points off Spurs. But I don't think it would be weird in the context of this season for those results to happen. And that is a massive bonus. I think the feet on the, the ground take to all of this is fitness and injuries um, because, you know, Fulham have a very high quality first 11, first 14, 15, 16 now, and, you know, Solomon's back as well. You know, there's some good players in there. But then, you, of course, as we know, but if you take Mitrovic out for an extended period, if you take Polina out for an extended period, you disrupt that back line. Um, that's where things can change quite quickly. And, then, and you know, we saw Leicester last night. I mean, their injuries have completely ravaged their team. I don't think that will happen to Fulham, but a touch wood, as someone said in my comments in the piece before. Um, that, that, there's always that element to it. There's always that sense, you know, things can change quickly. The, the, the next five fixtures are very tough. It, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that Fulham take, don't take three points from the next five. And yeah. that's, you know, considering the, the amount of money these clubs have spent, the strength and depth of these squads as well. That, that's probably the realistic viewpoint. Um, but then, of course, as Jack says, they're, be they're beatable. They're beatable. Fulham have shown they're beatable. I think they do need to improve their record against the big, the big six, inverted commas. Um, I think that's probably why Brentford have had a bit more of the, the shine of their position, if you see what I mean. Um, yes. Because they've had those results, those sort of marquee moments, whereas Fulham have come very close. City, United... Arsenal, Tottenham, um, but not quite managed to get to, to bloody a nose. Yeah, to get a scalp. Um, the record against everyone else is incredible. I think they, they did a table after the Saints game. I think Fulham are top of the 
current other, other four teams. teams. Yeah. yeah, so that includes Chelsea. By a while as well. If there was another 14 table, I mean, um, it would be runaway leaders. Um, it's, We've it's only lost once and that was that was West Ham, wasn't it? The West Ham game where there were two goals awarded which should have been ruled out for handball. So, yeah. um, I mean, that's yeah. that speaks for itself. They've, they've got, they're, they're picking up the results that they would want to pick up against teams that they'd expect to be around them. Which I find very satisfying. My OCD yeah. of the fixture table, I find our record, I'm like, you know, I look at, obviously, yeah, would I love to go and beat City away and beat Liverpool at home like that lot up the road have done? Yes. But actually, I find ours are much more sustainable. It's nice going to games last night. Like We are very good against the teams that we should be good against. And we, we slightly come out worse against top sides. It's quite nice from a slightly, um, you know, compulsive look at the fixture list. And we had a, a message on Instagram from Robert Biden. He said, hello, love your pod here in New York. There's a lot of fun talk about qualifying for Europe next season, but could that actually be harmful for our long-term goals? Playing those extra matches could really test club depth. And if there are a couple of key injuries or deflections over the summer, I'm worried it could affect our survival in the Premier League. Um, could this be a real concern or am I just being a Debbie Downer? Possibly. But I mean, it is a very fair point. I think there's there's two sides to that, isn't it? That's double-edged sword in that. Yes, obviously we've seen someone like West Ham, right? Really struggle off the back of a European campaign um, and not be able to deal with it physically. But I also think qualifying for Europe is the kind of thing that keeps you Joao Polina another year. If Polina gets Fulham to Europe after being newly promoted, is he going to be like, might stick with this project one more year to see what happens? I think that's more likely if you go and, and do these things. So yes, I think it tests their depth, but equally it helps you keep hold of your biggest players and your best players. And also, I just, I just, I just want to trip. It's the most fun thing you can do when supporting a club like Fulham is, is get into Europe and like yes there would be problems and I'm, I'm no doubt our league form would suffer we'd have to recruit well and stuff like that but like ultimately for supporting a football team like Fulham is about having fun and there is no more fun that uh, that you can have but yes it would be a concern I think let's worry about it in the summer when we actually have qualified for Europe right we'll take a break there afterwards we've got a load of your emails you ready showtime on May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast is Sammy James on the Thursday Club here with Jack Collins and Peter Rutzler. Thank you to everyone uh, who continues to support Fulhamish over in the Fulhamish community on Leveller. Uh, we hugely uh, appreciate you guys uh, keeping the pod running uh, and supporting uh, the work that we do. Uh, if you'd like to support us, you can. Uh, the link is in the description of this podcast or you can head to the Fulhamish website, click support and all the details are there too. But we uh, we always keep our podcasts free, uh, but we it's a way for you to support the work uh, that we do on the podcast, on YouTube, on the articles, uh, if you can and are able to. So uh, thank you very much. Link in the description. Let's move on to some of your emails. I've been saving a few of them up during the World Cup uh, for Jack and Peter to take a look at. Uh, this first one is from Ludo Stoddart, aged eight. And he says in brackets, I performed the Gazaniga song for you oh, last season oh on this occasion. 
We remember Ludo and his dad, Hal. So thank you very much for getting in touch. He said, I have been talking to my dad and we were wondering if the pod thought that this might be the best and most exciting Fulham team ever. He says the Europa team was more organised, but less enjoyable to watch. And he couldn't think of a better one. What do you think? Thank you. I'm a big fan. And that's from Ludo. Jack, your thoughts on Ludo's question. Um, maybe Tagana's side mm. first year in the Premier League when we came obviously in the Championship but the first year in the Premier, Premier League when we came up swashbuckling lots of fun um, but to be fair to Ludo that is approximately 10 years before he was born so uh, I'm not, gonna, <laughs> I'm not actually going to hold that one against him but I definitely think in my lifetime this side are definitely up there with that Tagana side yeah for me I think this Fulham kind of team now... in the championship, but like, mm. can you compare the two? Well, yeah, you could because Fulham had a similar, well, a better yeah, campaign in the championship, championship last year. Yeah. But I think in that to that Fulham team were mad, as in like mm. it would be literally like you score three, we'll score four. I didn't feel that about Silver's team quite mm. as much. It was just like we're going to absolutely fundamentally destroy you. What yeah. about the the team under Coleman in two thousand three four, particularly the first half of the season? Yeah, really. Yeah, I, th- I think it's it's definitely in the conversation. They they were very very good, lots of fun. But yeah, I, I think the fact that this team are even in the conversation is massive credit to them, right? This is this is the kind of levels we're playing at right now. I think we're reaching a point where this might be the best Fulham attempt at Premier League season that I can remember. And if we can keep it up, like I think the Premier League is now tougher than it yeah, I think ever was. And we are making such a good go of it. Even Hodgson's side that did eventually finish seventh that season did it with a lot of like home wins, away draws. It wasn't always the best football. That was still a very good team. I think this team's a higher quality side than that. You know, you they'll never eclipse the fun of the Europa team and, and Tagana's championship and I I think a championship season is very very different to compare I'd certainly say it's one of my most enjoyable teams and the quality throughout the side is um, is exceptional and speaking of that quality throughout the side uh, I'll bring you on to this question from Tom Burrows Um, this is another one to kind of get you thinking he said has ever has anyone ever become such a cult Fulham hero slash legend in such a short space of time than this man he is extraordinary his defensive work is second to none and then he turns up with huge moments like the winner against Southampton he is a god Tom's words, but I agree. I'm not sure if this is a question, but if you could dedicate a section to how much I love this man, it would be appreciated. Many thanks from Tom. Got me thinking, Jack, of anyone that's made such an instant impact as Jao Polini. There are players that over the years have become icons, but there's something about Zhao and even feel like game three, the way that he um, scored against Brentford and smacked his wrist against the uh, advertising boardings when Mitro scored. He was already an instant hero straight after that. And he just keeps on getting better and better and better. Yeah. Um, Alexander Mitrovic might be yeah. in the call conversation here. He arrived yeah. and and did the business straight away. Um Breda Hangeland, I think he might be as a summer sign. I, I can't imagine. I can't remember a summer signing making this impact, this much impact straight away. Maybe, maybe Dimi Berbatov. I know it ended off, ended up not quite as as pretty as it started. But when Berbatov turned up to begin with, it, we were like, oh god, this man is different gear. That was mm. that was a pretty cool moment. Pogrebniak? 
Yeah, Pogrebniak's the very much instant hero, but then never mm. he never sustained it even till this period. Um, would you would you say that Polina is a cult hero or just hero? I feel like there's a difference. Yeah, he's definitely not a cult hero. No. Like everybody is pretty aware that a cult hero is kind of not a often not a brilliant player or a brilliant player who has fits and starts, right? Not someone that just performs every week. Mm. Mm. I think Polina could be a cult hero. I think he'd have to stay a lot longer and prove some like loyalty that, to the club. I think he's got all the ingredients though to do that, and he seems to love it. And the way that last night he went up to the away end and you know threw his shirt into the crowd and everyone was singing his name. There was also a really nice moment where um, Louis Boamorte and Tim Ream were with Polina as they came off the pitch, and the Polina song was being sung, and Tim Ream was putting his arms in the air to the Polina song and. Uh, put his uh, fist right to the sky when uh, it's the um which was uh, which was nice to see it was uh, it was very good celebrations in the end but yeah Polina, i mean he's just keeps on doing uh, amazing things and last night again just always there in the middle <laughs> wherever you are on the pitch there is always a Polina following you around looking like he's about to take you out first yellow card in quite a while as well last night he's done very well to avoid the yellow cards but last night he uh, he went back to some of his old ways. There was a lot of yellows last night, Peter, actually thinking back about it. It was um, it was yellow card city, really. But that's all part of the, the story of the game, isn't it? You know, yeah. they found a way to win that game and that meant the dark arts. That meant slowing things down. That meant stopping the game as often as possible, disrupting Leicester's flow and pressure and momentum. Um, because they, they did seem quite tired, didn't they, in the second half? I think Silver came out and pointed out that they that Leicester had had an extra day's rest, which was important during the festive period. And I, th- I think a few players did look quite tired. But in, even in the, that context, you know, you, they, they found another way to sit out and that meant a few yellows. Next one here from Daniel Marler. Uh, we have briefly mentioned this, I think, on the actual um, George Cohen podcast that I did with uh, Michael Heatley. But um, he says, hi, guys, big fan of the podcast. I wanted to get in touch um, regarding George Cohen's recent passing. Do you think it would be possible for us to build a movement amongst the fan base to rename one of the stands to the George Cohen stand? Um your support um, would and uh, ideas would be uh, much appreciated. And that's thanks from Daniel. Um, Michael mentioned this. I've heard a lot of chat about it, Jack, um, of uh, of a stand being named after George Cohen. I mean, it's, it's a wonderful idea. For me, I feel like the only one that could be would be the Riverside. However, with all the marketing for the Riverside, I could, I could see the possibility of it being called the George Cohen Riverside stand. Why? Out of interest, is that the only one that would work for you? Is the names Hammersmith and Putney just too iconic of like, you know, that is the stadium, the Hammersmith end, the Putney end, it, it's, which way is the I mean, stadium? I, I think if pointing. you can rename the Stevenage Road stand, you can rename anything really, can't you? Like that's the iconic stand of of Craven Cottage. The, the one with the after, It was just named after a road. Of course, but Hammersmith and Putney are just named after locations. Yeah, <laughs> the Riverside <laughs> is literally named about where it exists within the banks of a river. I think you could rename any of them. And I actually do think that they won't rename the Riverside, but I was genuinely there considering, call, you know, could you call the Hammersmith and the George Cohen end? Would people actually call it that? I don't know. But could you call it that anyway? Maybe. So... Yeah, I think it would be. I think it would be a nice touch. So yeah, I'm on board, but I don't think it's going to be the Riverside. Interesting. Well, yeah, with all the marketing and stuff that is going on around the Riverside, I, I feel like um, 
The other thing I guess was the riverside that makes it a natural fit is the fact it's a new stand and, and a there's new a stand statue of him already there. But it is between the two stands, isn't it? So you could get away with it with the with the Hammersmith end. Yeah, but a new stand can get a new name, similar to how you can rename a new stadium because it's new and it hasn't got anything. That was my only thoughts um, behind it. Um, Peter, obviously, um, thought you might want to mention quickly um, the piece that you did um, about George Cohen, which I thought was uh, lovely, by the way. Um, a lot of really great um, knowledge and interesting things that I didn't know when I read your article um, uh, about George. Um, I don't know if you had anything particularly prepared um, about that, but I, I thought it was exquisitely researched. And, you, and for me, it went kind of behind, um, scratch beneath the skin a little bit of, of his Fulham story. Um, but obviously an emotional time for the club. And uh, yeah, I thought you might want to just uh, share a couple of uh, bits from, from your article that you wrote on George Cohen. I think maybe for a lot of younger supporters, they may not know as much about George Cohen. Obviously, they'll probably know the name and know they want the World Cup, but that association with Fulham is pretty unique, really. Um, you know, he grew up in the local area and um, played for Fulham throughout his career. Um, and then to win the World Cup, you know, a local lad to go on and win the World Cup and play for Fulham, I think is it's it's one of football's greatest stories and it was Fulham's story. And I think that's what was really important to try and convey actually, because there were some lovely tributes written, uh, you know, in, in loads of different outlets, but I think just trying to bring it back to, to Fulham. And I thought the tributes ahead of the Southampton game were, were really fitting, a really lovely touch. And, um, Cohen always had that association with Fulham even after he, he left the club. So, um, yeah, no, it was important to make sure to to, to recognise that um, and and share as much as possible about you know his life and 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 why and why he deserves that emotion and that 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 feeling um, at the club. Yeah, and uh, plenty of other good stuff uh, on the Athletic as well, including a, an article that Peter wrote uh, today, which was called "Welcome to Fulham 2.0: A New Grittier Team Allowing Their Fans to Dream." So, uh, if you're not subscribed to the Athletic, treat yourself in January to a subscription and all of uh, Peter's uh, great writing. Um, I get notified now of new Peter Rutzler pieces by my dad. I, I swear he sends the notifications quicker than the Athletic app does that Peter's <laughs> written a new article. Um, he, uh, yeah, he's always uh telling me about um how peter's uh written this and peter said that and stuff and so if my dad likes it then you'll definitely like it because he doesn't subscribe to anything um <laughs> so uh, that's the biggest endorsement i think you can get right we're going to take a break there afterwards we'll look ahead to saturday's fa cup visit to hull Part three of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy here with Jack and Peter. Let's look ahead then to Hull on Saturday in the FA Cup. And uh, Peter, this this feels quite hard to get excited for. However, I think that one thing that could definitely be said with our position in the table, our relative comfort um, within the league is that the FA Cup should not be sneezed at this year. You know, we went out very meekly out of the Carabao and it was kind of annoying, but kind of understandable at the time that we would give a lot of players a rest because the Premier League was a real focus. I think Marco will take this quite seriously on Saturday, but he will make obviously a few changes to give people a rest. I guess, especially given the fact that they've sandwiched in the Chelsea game midweek next week. Yeah. I've been, I've been covering the club for what, a couple, two and a half years for my third season now. And I, I've, I've learned that, you know, 
we often say about cup runs would be nice, but they never actually happen, do they? Um, but yes, I agree. This is it. Like, where Fulham are on the table, it make why not? You know, like why why not put more into it? Um, I'm pretty sure I said the same thing last year and the year before that. No, actually, I disagree. I think that last year, last year, champ- I mean, championships. What's the championship club ever going to do in the FA Cup? Maybe. Sure. And then, like the year before that, like we're fighting relegation. I actually think this time is different. Like I, this is the first time in years where I'm like, actually, we've got the space for a cut run. We're not going for promotion. Yeah. We're not fighting relegation. Fulham can can beat anyone on their day. I think that's a that's a key part of this, and that's why you can absolutely see a cut run being successful. Um, and and why not? You know, as I say, why why not? Um, I don't think we'll see the same extent of changes that we saw against Crawley in the summer. Um, hopefully, we won't see a repeat performance. Um, but there are a few players that need minutes. Um, I'm thinking, obviously, Kazara and Solomon were back in the squad last night, and I wonder if they will be given the opportunity now to to get to build their own minutes. Um, it's quite, there's there's more options, there's more rotation. It'd be good to see Luke Harris maybe see if he he'll get um, a longer period in a game as well. Um, Hull, of, Hull of are in decent form. You know they've sort of turned things around. And Liam Rossini is a good coach, as as we know from you know his work he did with, with Wayne Rooney at Derby. Um, Jean Michel Seri is back in the team and doing good things by all accounts. Um, Cyrus Christie's flying as well. Um, so I don't think it'll be a straightforward game. Um, I think Fulham will will want to rest some players. They'll need to really to 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 you know preserve squad harmony as much as as much anything else. I think that's actually one of the things that's so interesting is just how happy everyone seems to be at the moment, as you'd expect with the results. But you know that's that plays a massive part in in, in just everyone's confidence and and the atmosphere and and and, and, and why why results are the way they are. But um, you know Fulham have the ability to to go on a cup run. You know, if the if the draw can be kind, if they can get through games without taking them too lightly, as we saw maybe with with, with Crawley, then then they they could go could go on a cup run. I, I don't see why they couldn't. You know, we saw Brentford reach the semi final in in the League Cup, wasn't it? Um, so yeah, it's it's there, it's there, and at some point, you you fancy the Fulham will, will actually manage to string a few wins together in a competition. I mean, Jack, is it written in the stars? In 1975, our only ever previous trip to an FA Cup final started in the third round uh, against Hull City. It took us three times um, to get past Hull. It was a one-all draw at Craven Cottage. There was a two-all draw up at Hull and then a one-nil win at neutral territory at Filbert Street. Nice and local for the lads. Take both take both sets of fans halfway across the country for absolutely no reason. Why didn't they say that Peterborough? <laughs> Like that, that's my big question. Anyway, I really think that there's an opportunity there to it. Look, are we going to win the FA Cup? I don't know. Probably not. But we've seen from the last three games that this Fulham team probably has the ability in one-off matches to win any game bar maybe City or Arsenal. And the FA Cup's the FA Cup. I feel like Fulham have got to go for it. Got a dream. An FA Cup semi-final at Wembley. How magic would that be? It's been such a long time since I can remember Fulham doing anything in the FA Cup. Yeah, 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 I completely agree. And and I think it's it's reasonable to to dream. Uh, and I think that we will see a relatively good Fulham side here. I, like you say, I think there will be changes. I mean, you rest 
the likes of Polinia here, I think you you have to just make sure that he is fit and fighting to be you know available for Chelsea and then the rest of the season. But you know, on the wings, as you said, Wilson's working his way back to match fitness um, and at least match sharpness. We saw at the end last night he's not quite you know there yet. It'd be great to see Matt Solomon get run out. Whether he's ready for a ninety minutes or not, it's it's probably a slightly different question, but fine. Um, you know, Carlos Vinicius now. Probably, as you say, starts. I don't know if Dimitrovic yellow card changes things hugely, but if you know he starts here and, and plays well, will that give him some confidence going into the Chelsea game where you assume he steps up? And hopefully, obviously, in that game, he can he can drop an AK-47 versus QPR when Mitrovic was suspended kind of, kind of performance. Mm-hmm. Um, but generally, I think, yeah, this is still going to be a, a, a strong Fulham side. It's going to be an opportunity... Uh, for for a couple of uh, of players to to try and make their mark to try and stamp something on this, uh, and hopefully those players coming in hungry, even if a little bit lacking match sharpness, uh, will be able to get the job done. But you know, Hull, as as Peter said, are are recovering uh, under a senior. They they seem to be doing quite well at, at this point, and we've seen their fans tweeting a lot recently, been like, "Cheers, Fulham! Seri's the best midfielder in the championship when he has a manager who knows how to use him," and I think that's. You know, there's definitely an argument to suggest that that's true. I mean, Sander Burge might have something to say about it, but generally, I, th- I think there's a that's a, a conversation that could be had, and and so therefore, it's nothing to underestimate. If Fulham lose at the weekend, am I going to be absolutely devastated? No, but if they win and and we we start to we start to put together a run that that propels and you get a nice draw in the next round, then obviously it's exactly like Europe. You start to dream a little bit, right? Could can Fulham do a, a day out of Wembley? Well, that would be that would be lots of fun. Um, we've enjoyed our time there recently. So why not one more time? Yeah. Um and obviously Peter, there's there is a lot of Fulham Hull connections in this uh, in this match. Liam Rossini is the Hull manager. Marcus Silva's going back to the club where he forged his reputation in England and the return of Jean-Michel Serri. Um, we all wondered if he would play for us in the Premier League last season and uh, that was quite clear that's not the case. I think you look at this midfield now and I mean, Jean-Michel Serri would not be getting any minutes uh, for, for a He might get minutes right in this now. game to be fair. He might have got minutes in this uh, in this particular game, but certainly he was always at, destined to play in this game. Yeah, um, but not at sixty k a week or whatever he was earning. Um, it's not one of those matches, though, Peter, that maybe gets the hearts racing as much as I want a cup run. Like it's uh, it's not a romantic tie. It's not a side that we haven't played for a long time. We were at Hull less than a year ago. A gritty one nil win that one um, that day. It was, it's a tough place to go and get a result and. It might be one of those that needs a replay, which given our fixtures, it probably is not ideal, but um, it might have to be one of those. Yeah, Fulham won't want to replay. Yeah, no, no one wants to replay. <laughs> Certainly not. That's Absolutely worst case no scenario. <laughs> like, as, in, as in to the point where I'd be like, I'd almost rather lose. No, <laughs> I can't get on board with that. You'd rather us go out the FA Cup rather than just have to do a replay. It's not I'm, that big a deal. I'm still not as confident as you with, with the way that this schedule pulls out and injuries and the like. Um, obviously, you know, we talk about dreaming earlier and I think you give yourself the best possible opportunity to kick on in the Premier League. Um Cup run, yes, I'd love one. And and I think that there is an argument here that if this was two rounds later, I'd completely agree with you. But at this point, I don't think that that's worth buying into. I think it's it's too far from, we're too far from the end. I'm glad you brought up the um, the whole game from last year, Sammy. Um, 
because I was just trying to think, you know, when we were talking about how Fulham were gritty against Leicester, it seems quite fitting that that one's come back to mind. There was actually a few, weren't there, last year when when you go back through it? Yeah, Cardiff. Cardiff, Cardiff um, Middlesbrough as well. Yeah. Um, I'm just sort of revisiting the headline for my piece, thinking well, it's not really new, I suppose, to Fulham. Maybe to everyone else it's new, but to us maybe not so new. No, I, I, there was there was elements last. I, I almost said it at the beginning of the podcast. I was like, I felt like a couple of times we're revisiting the playbook from last year. I felt like we saw that game last night a few times last year. The kind of like get a, get yourself in the lead and, and hold on. And whilst the caliber of teams that we held on against Cardiff, Hull aren't quite at the same caliber at Middlesbrough of, of what we had to face last night and the quality of the Leicester team. It's something that we've, we've done before. And uh, I felt like definitely it was a bit of a revisit of the playbook. And yeah, I was at that Hull game in, um, and it was a horrible pitch. It was a horrible day. The Hull fans were winding up Mitrovic and then Mitrovic went and knee slid in front of the uh, section of Hull supporters that were giving him grief the whole game when he got on the end of a brilliant Nico Williams cross. So yeah, um, fingers crossed. I think a cup runs on. I would take a replay. I would love us not to have to do a replay, of course, but like... It's it's got to be it's got to be about the FA Cup this year. I, I hate how uh, you know we, we sometimes dismiss the cup competitions, especially when we're safe. If we're fighting relegation, I get it, but we're not. Not safe yet. Yeah, I, I'm. Yeah, not safe yet. Oh, we not sounded a horn, but not there yet. Yes, but I think you can afford. Re- I think you can afford. I still think a replay is not going to mean that. Like, if it, if it all collapses, it's not going to be because we had a replay in the third round of the FA Cup against Hull. That's not going to be the catalyst for a dramatic collapse. Now you said that. Now you said that. What's going to happen is it's going to a replay, and in the replay, both Polina and Mitrovic are going to get injured, and Fulham aren't going to win another game for the rest of the season. Now you you, that, you fully cursed it. Yeah, that audio clip is 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 ready and waiting. We're not going to play Polina and Mitrovic in the replay. We're still going to play the kids. It's going to be Chalaber and Harris and all of that lot. Like, it's still going to be fine, Jack. It'll all be fine. Some people could do with a run out anyway. Yeah, all right. that is true. That is true. Okay, let's uh, end the podcast there. It's been brilliant to have uh, you lads back, uh, disagreeing with everything I say. Uh, I've, I've uh, thoroughly missed it. Um, all we need to do is name the podcast. So, Jack, what was your favourite three-word review? What would you like to go with? I think we're going to have to go with Matt Hobley at Fulham FC Perth. That's cool. Fulham FC Perth. There we go. All the way from down under. You sure it's not Perth, Scotland? Well, Matt's uh, cover photo is a beautiful beach. So (laughs) I'm going to suggest it's not Perth in Scotland. There's plenty Um, of beautiful beaches in Scotland. Not in Perth. Uh, He went with (laughs) Leno says nine. I'm going to, I'm going to go with Matt's Leno says nine. That is absolutely exceptional. Very, very good. Yeah. It's very clever indeed. All right. Well, um, thank you very much for listening today. Uh, Fulhamish will be back on Monday morning, looking back at that hugely important FA cup third round game, the do or die match that is Hull city away. The, uh, the, the most important game of January, as Jack Collins said, um, George Cooper will be looking back at that one uh, with the squad uh, looking back. And the Thursday club will return on Friday. Friday club. 
yeah, it's going to become the Friday club because Chelsea's the, on the Thursday. Uh, so we'll be a little bit delayed uh, next week. Uh, we'll be in that short turnaround between the Chelsea and the Newcastle games. Uh, looking back at that SW6 derby. Metroless, but still, it's going to be a feisty one. Uh, so thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for my guest, Jack Collins. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Sammy. It's good to be back. Peter Rutzler, thank you. No, thank you. Thank you. It's been a while, so it's good to be back. And uh, yeah, it's fun, isn't it? It's fun. <laughs> Do enjoy it. It's good at the moment, isn't it? Drink it, it in. Is. Drink it in, as I said last year. Drink it in. These days don't last forever. They certainly don't. All right. Well, if you're heading to Hull, uh, safe journey. Uh, if not, have a lovely weekend, uh, whatever you're doing. Uh, and will we be back on Monday? Come on, you whites. You whites. <laughs>